Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. It is well, good September. Morning. morning, Jonathan. <laughs> morning, Sandra. Good morning. <laughs> we are going to have a lovely morning, y'all. Folks are will be trickling in. Tell us where you're from, too. We usually have folks from all over the world. I think at one point we had a, a dozen, a couple dozen countries folks are joining us from. So tell us where you're, you're coming from, what time it is for us on the East Coast here. It's nine o'clock in the morning, which is when we try to do our first of the month morning prayer. We got a great friend and guest that uh, we're going to be talking with but, you know, after we do a little bit of prayer, we pause and have a conversation. So we got Sandra Van Opstel, uh as our guest. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. You. It's good to be with you guys <laughs> after the morning rush. That's it. Sure and uh, just a few, we kind of, as folks trickle in, we I do a little month at a glance. So this is September. And of course, we're, we're praying out a common prayer, the collaborative book that we did together. Uh, you can find it online at commonprayer.net, and there's an app if you got an old phone. If you got a new, it's a reason not to update your phone, so you can keep using the app because we can't afford to update it quite yet. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, but every month we talk about really a core part of our Christian faith and discipleship. And this month we will be thinking a little bit about prayer and contemplative prayer. And throughout the month, we also, and nobody, nobody better talk that with than um, talk about that with than Sandra. And she's done so much great work on worship and prayer. Um, well, I guess we'll do an official welcome later, but you, your book, the next worship uh, is you know, really made the rounds. Uh, Sandra's written a number of other things as well, but that's, a, a, I know, one of the books that's meant a lot to me so much that I don't even have it. I gave it away to somebody to read, so that's <laughs> usually a good compliment. But uh, we're looking forward to talking to you in just a minute. September, y'all, is the month that we remember lots of different uh, saints with a big S and little S and also lots of different historic moments. Um, just a few of them highlights are uh, on the 8th, we remember the farm workers strike, uh, which gave birth to the United Farm Workers Union in 1965. We think of all those um, workers today and unions that are continuing that work for justice uh, for workers. So we, uh, also this month, remember Peter Claver, one of the great abolitionists. And, you know, sometimes we think of abolition is uh, a couple hundred years ago, but Peter Claver was doing that back in the 1500s, knowing that, you know, slavery was wrong and uh, as a Jesuit. So we remember Peter Claver. We remember Mother Teresa, who died in 1997 in September. Oh, I got, you know, somebody gave me this little book that worked with Mother Teresa. It's a new book that uh, do something beautiful for God. 
she's still putting out books, just like Henry now. And after you die, he's still publishing books. Maybe they can say the same of us. Sandra. We'll be writing books when we pass on. But uh, okay. Um, then we got, you know, of course, this is uh, September 11th is this month. So we remember all the lives lost in the attacks on 9-11. We also remember the overthrow of the Chilean government that the U.S. had a hand in that in 1973 and um, our brothers and sisters down there. Um, we remember the uh, genocide of Armenians um, this month, uh, and we also remember one of the, the big prison uprisings um, in Attica prison where 31 uh, incarcerated folks and nine guards were killed. And just one of those constant reminders that we need to do better than our mass incarceration system. Uh, the Oslo Accords were passed uh, in 1993 this month. So we remember that kind of milestone for peace, but uh, also the aspirations that still need to be realized in Palestine and the West Bank. Uh, we remember uh, John Chrysostom, uh, the golden mouth preacher. And the, we also remember the the church girls that were killed and the, the church that was terrorized at 16th Street Church in 1963 and that bombing. Uh, that was on September 15, 1963. Hildegard of Bingen, we remember. Uh, whoa, what, what a wild one. Uh, so just hold out for that on the 17th. And then Rich Mullins of Indiana. Uh, <laughs> this is the 25th anniversary of singer and songwriter Rich Mullins' death. And we actually didn't mention that in, in common prayer, but there, his family and friends are doing a big uh, thing on the um, this month around the anniversary of his death and his, his birthday's next month. So there's kind of a few different things that'll be happening uh, around that. And then uh, we remember the Korean martyrs on the 20th. Henry Nowen. Uh, who died in 1996 on September 21st. We remember him and uh, we remember Vincent DePaul who said, when he, when we give to the poor, we should get on our knees and ask for forgiveness because we're just returning what was stolen. <laughs> so that's, that's the September at a glance and uh, Jonathan, Sandra, any, what, anything going on in, in your spheres and worlds this month that everybody should know about? Sandra, anything? Feel free to chime in. I mean, the first thing that I think about uh, as a parent and as a neighbor is that people are still kind of gearing up. Uh, so if you started school this kind of Monday of this week, Monday of last week, Monday of next week, those are things that all of us need prayer for <laughs> as neighbors and as parents and as aunties and uncles. Also, just for what kids are feeling as they go back to school, what teenagers are feeling, what college students, some of them for the first time back in person, because they chose to kind of be remote um, during the during the expensive years of paying full tuition and being online. Um, so there's just still a lot that we think, you know, this this. Um, has passed, but we're still, I think, trying to, to find equilibrium as students and grad students and parents and aunties and neighbors. And that has a lot of implications for our communities and neighborhoods and uh, youth um, as we head back to school. So I think that's on my mind. Obviously, also Hispanic Heritage or Latinx Heritage Month starts this week. We get half of two months. I don't know how that happened, except that this month we celebrate a lot of Central American countries and Mexico celebrate independence uh, during this month. And so um, just remembering 
um, you know, all, all that has been done and all that needs to be done within our um, context as, um, as, as a Latinx community, but also for our Central American and Mexican brothers and sisters as we head into um, September 15th. Well, thank you. I mean, for both of those reminders, really critical. But I, I, I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, folks going back to school. My kids went back to school this week. Community here is, you know, kind of focused on that, too. Um, that, you know, there's this, I, I think across the United States right now, there's uh, a kind of attack on uh, public education that uh, our communities are experiencing. And I know a lot of teachers are feeling that. Um, uh, and uh, I just think, uh, you know, t- taking some time to encourage people who are doing that work every day is uh, critically important. I was also thinking, Shane, that we're getting ready for the Labor Day weekend. And I think especially this year, we ought to just note that we have uh, the largest and most active labor movement that this country has seen in half a century. And as low-wage workers continue to organize and to uh, demand living wages and safe working conditions, it's important for uh, all of us in our communities to support those efforts. So uh, here's to labor and uh, to to saying clearly that... uh, uh, Jesus is on the side of the laborer. <laughs> yes. I think that message yeah. has been forgotten for too long. And as you uh, uh, point out, Jonathan, we have for our, the organization that I am founded and I'm running, we wrote some prayers, actually, our team um, mm-hmm. or children. There's one called uh, it's on Instagram, one called uh uh, prayers for children whose stories are being erased mm. around kind of the book ban and mm. some of the things that are happening in many states. And it kind of invites people to check at least the top six states and then to check if their state, what kind of legislation they have. And then we put one out today or this Monday, uh, a prayer for educators. Um, and it's focused on folks that are working in the school system. Um, and then next week we'll put out one uh, that's prayer for college and grad students. So uh, prayers are writing. Yeah, I think they're writing some really cool prayers. So that's great. And where can folks find those prayers? Um, on Instagram at chasing justice underscore. At chasing justice underscore. You know, uh, one of the reasons we do this, and uh, a big reason that we created this common prayer, is because um, you know, in a world uh, that can feel very crazy, it's really important for us to gather together. And to remember the stories of folks who have worked for justice and the prayers of people who've been praying for justice, not just, you know, in our generation, but for generations and generations. And um, I I just wanted to say kind of as we're sort of in a sense kicking off a new year here, that um, those of you who join us here on the first of every month, uh, we love this way of engaging. Um, It's uh, um, it's virtual which means uh, we don't get to be, uh, you know, face to face and uh, body to body. Uh, but uh, between the first of every month, you know, there's usually uh, 29 or 30 other days. And so uh, I would encourage folks to find circles to gather with in your communities because uh, it, it to, to, to root ourselves in this story and come back again and again to the prayers and the stories and the saints who remind us who we are just seems so critical, mm. uh, especially when things feel wild and crazy. So it's good to be able to pray together. Sure is. Let's do let's, it. Uh, let's kick it off. It's September the 1st. Uh, if you don't have a book in front of you, you can find it at commonprayer.net. 
Let us pray. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Swing low, sweet chariot, come and pull to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, come and pull to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home was a band full of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Broken, we kneel. Humbled, we cry. Help, Jesus. Raise us gently on high. This is from Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not punish me in your wrath. Have pity on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are racked. My spirit shakes with terror. How long, O Lord? How long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me for your mercy's sake. Broken, we kneel. Humbled, we cry. Help Jesus. Raise us gently on high. Our gospel reading this morning is from the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee... Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Broken we kneel, humbled we cry, help Jesus, raise us gently on high. Uh, these are the words of 7th century monk and bishop Isaac of Syria. Do not fall into despair because of your stumblings, for you should not consider them incurable. 
There is indeed a healer. He who on the cross asked for mercy on those who were crucifying him, who pardoned murderers as he hung on the cross. Christ came on behalf of sinners to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. Amen. Well, Shane, you you promised a full introduction, so let folks know who we have with us today. <laughs> yes. So we've got the one and only Sandra Maria Van Opstel. Uh, she's been a friend of ours, friend of Red Letter Christians for a long time, writer, uh, really a curator of worship, done so much work thinking about how to integrate prayer and worship and put it into action, the very stuff that, uh, you know, is the fire in our bones. And um uh, you you've written the next worship you've written other books you've been the, the one of the longest standing board members of <laughs> the Christian Community Development Association CCDA which incidentally y'all has its annual conference uh, in a few weeks down in Charlotte North Carolina so we'll be, a bunch of us will be huddling up down there and uh, uh that that's a beautiful movement around the country but uh we were also hearing more about sandra's work inside one of the correctional facilities um and doing restorative art so that seems like a beautiful place to begin uh especially as we think about worship uh, some of it sandra it, it's kind of seems like um our prayer and our worship where we put ourselves matters and it kind of helps us think about how to integrate prayer, not just in a cave somewhere, but uh, you're doing it inside the prisons. We're doing it in our neighborhoods and in the streets. And uh, so thanks for joining us, first of all, and tell us a little bit more what I leave out there, Sandra. It's hard to give you a full. Wow, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be with you guys. Um, I'm not a morning person, but I do have sm two small kids. So I do get up because I have to in the morning. So um, luckily I'm awake for you guys at this time, central time. So, um, but yeah, it's great to be with you long time. I mean, I think the first time I met you guys was through books as a, as a college student, you know, like as you guys were, I think writing your first books, if I'm not mistaken, I, you know, I've used the, the, the prayer book in um, different formation groups that I've been a part of as well as led, um, and so, you know, we've been together uh, at events for Red Letter Christian, for CCDA, for everything. So it's great to be with you guys. And and honestly, to have friends that are in this for the long term, because I primarily work with um, young adults and mm -hmm. I have primarily worked with young adults since the beginning of my ministry career. So I worked with college students on campus. I worked with young adults and youth in an urban setting um, through kind of church ministry and urban ministry and and now with Chasing Justice, my focus really is like the, the you know, kind of eight, 19 to 30 year old, like what's happening between I don't have a paycheck and I'm stuck with a mortgage. You know, that's that's what, when people ask me, like, what age group do you work with? I'm like, it's not really an age group. It's more like a stage of life. Like when you're not, you're still free enough to make what I consider to be very liberating decisions in your budget and with your life until you're like strapped into some, you know, mortgages and things that make it a little bit harder for, for, you know, decisions. Like, I think I'm going to go and do this for a year. Uh, so that to me, that's an exciting time of life. Um, but it really is, it, it is harder to see how change happens over time when you're always working in that setting. Um, I think those of us that have been in this work of advocacy, of development, of neighboring, um, 
you know, we know it just takes time. It takes 10 mm-hmm. years for a affordable housing complex to develop between idea and actual, uh, you know, like cutting the ribbon at the end. It takes time. Yeah. And I think that um, it, that's something people don't want now when, when we want change. I mean, I don't want it to take time because I uh, am an Enneagram eight and I want things done yesterday. But um, I think it's good to be in friendships with people like you all to watch people not only live life and neighboring, but go back and, you know, um, expand on what they've written, uh, change what they think uh, over time because life has happened. And, um, you know, we get, we get nuanced in, in the year 2025, you know? Um, so it's, it's been a joy to be, to be friends with you, but yeah, I think as far as me, I think the important things to know are that I'm, for those of you that don't know me, I'm the daughter of two immigrants. Both my parents came from Latin America, uh, Colombia, my mother, Argentina, my father. They came to the city of Chicago, uh, you know, looking for stability um, and economic, an economic future that they could not have within their own countries, partially because of, uh, you know, American policy. So um, I was taught to look at the world as a global citizen, not as an American, if that makes sense. But like as someone who's like trying to figure out how do we neighbor one another in the world? And that has deeply, deeply shaped me because I, you know, English was my second language. Um, I was retold history constantly in my home by my Argentine father, um, who comes from a very different reality in Argentina than, than the U S in the eighties. Um, and, um, I'm married. I have two small children. Um, I'm, I, I am a, fo- a foster parent. So I adopted, we adopted our foster son. I don't write or speak on that a lot because it's my private life, but I'm sharing that because we're talking about prayer. And I think that has a lot to do with how my prayers have evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's me. Good. I, mean, that's I do good. ministry, but, but the important things to know about me are that I'm a neighbor here on the West side in Humboldt park, Austin area. And I've been neighboring here for almost 20 years. You well, know, partly because you uh, were sharing about your work with uh, young adults and emerging adults, and also because our gospel text uh, today was uh, this story of the calling of at least a few of the disciples. Uh, I, I'm curious. Uh, it's often the case that people uh, end up doing work that's important to them because of their own experience. And I'm curious if your own calling to this work uh, came in your early emerging adulthood. Is, is there a story there? What, uh, what brought you to the work that you're doing now? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> I grew up in the church. Um, it, my parents come from a very um, committed uh, Roman Catholic, Latino Roman Catholic tradition. So I was in mass from when I can remember with my grandmother, you know, it was like abuela and me in mass in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was deeply shaped by that experience. And I still, when I do my silent retreats, always do them at Catholic retreat centers because there's something that happens. It's an embodied, ex- it's the smell and the sound and the, you know, mm-hmm. something happens to me and I'm transported back, which we can talk about. Um, but just this embodiment of the earliest formation. Um, and I, I was, I would say I was discipled and kind of um, formally trained or taught in, in, in a more small group you know, kind of worship stuff within a, a Southern Baptist tradition, if you can believe it, in the city of Chicago. Um, so I went to First Baptist Church um, and and that deeply shaped me. But it wasn't until I went away to college that I asked the question, like, what does this have to do with like the way that I live? 
Mm-hmm. And, and so I think in college, I was a part of a student ministry and that changed me so much that even though I thought I was going to go on and be a famous musician and move to Nashville and do all this stuff, I actually decided um, that ministry would be the route that I would take, which yeah, even worse for my parents than, you know, music major. So, <laughs> um, so yes, absolutely. I would say Jesus completely hijacked me in college was like, it's, it's more than just the church attendance. It's more than just what you think in your head. It's like an encounter with me changes how you live, how you spend your money, where you live, what kind of person you become, what you care about, how you raise your children. It was like the whole thing changed for me um, when I was 19, 20 years old. So yeah, I, I basically stayed with that campus ministry and I, I haven't changed it. I mean, I haven't really think my, I think my passion, particularly for that, that season of someone's life. Yeah. I just, because you dropped the Enneagram word, uh, so, you know, you, you've, you've done some work on this and I would say that the people listening in and joining us in prayer this morning are probably on a very wide continuum. Uh, I, I find that about half of my friends know what the Enneagram is and, um, it's not something we talk a lot about in our local work in North Philly, but it is something that is helpful for a lot of folks that, um, I mean, this give us a little crash course because you've written a lot about this. I mean, we don't have to talk a lot about it, but you did drop the, that you're an Enneagram eight. I'm sure some people are going, what what does that mean? And some folks uh, listening probably know that the Enneagram can be a bit of a religious cult. If you go to a table of uh, <laughs> old, older Catholics, they're just talking about ones and twos and eights and sevens, and you don't even it's like some kind of code. But uh, give give you've done some work on it, so you must find it helpful. Tell us. About it. Oh yeah. So, so it's interesting because I, I encountered the Enneagram uh, through my spiritual director um, when I was on staff uh, as a college minister. And it, basically it was like 20 plus years ago. So before there was like the road back to you before it was, it was just Richard before Rohr. It was cool. You know, it was like, it was like <laughs> before what? Before it was cool. Before it was cool. Totally. And it was scary because there weren't many, very many evangelicals and especially people of color that were looking into, um, you know, Enneagram work. And so I basically had hit, I was in my late twenties. I had hit like a, like a, a thing in my mid, like a barrier, you know, like I was, it was like bumping my head up against the wall and my spiritual director said, okay, it's time to do the Enneagram. And I was like, what is that? You know? And so she described it to me as a spiritual tool, which is still how I describe it. It's, it's like a, it's a sacred tool used for spiritual formation. And she said, it is the, it is a tool that allows us to see almost like the intersection of where, where we find this, uh, you know, the type that describes us most and the place where we most need Jesus. So mm. it's like both the best part of us, the thing that we get celebrated for in our twenties. And then the thing that we, that we, that becomes our biggest problem. And so she said, you know, it's kind of like, if you know, you're a hammer and all your life, you're a hammer and you go and you hammer, you hammer, you hammer. And then, you know, you realize that a hammer is not everything that you need all the time. So you, you kind of lean into that strength, particularly because you're champion for it. So Enneagram eights, they're courageous, you know, they take risks, they're, you know, the need to get angry, they're angry about injustice, they're strong, you know? And so nobody, you're on a team and people will say, well, who's going to say that? Well, Sandra will say it because she, she doesn't care about conflict. She'll say it when actually we do care about being liked and conflict. It's just that we're typically wired to, to speak truth to power. 
and and to to do it through our fear uh-huh. um, not in spite of our fear so anyway um you get ch- you kind of get celebrated for it and then you realize oh i probably need some jesus in that place of you know, against this sometimes. So I, I say it's like a mirror. Like I tell people like the Enneagram tool is like a mirror. It helps you to see your whole self mm. and to celebrate your beautiful self and to, to, to bring the places of your ugly self that still need transformation. Because even though like I celebrate that I'm myself, that I'm, I'm so, so um, comfortable with who I am, I recognize that I'm not done that Jesus is still making me um, more and more like him each day. And so you bring your authentic self. So it's a tool, you know, it has, I mean, we can go into the specifics of it, but I would say for those that are interested, I I don't think it's helpful to look at as as a personality test. Like I was told by my spiritual director, do not take tests, listen, listen or read these books. And then when you find the place that you're kind of, the type that you're, you, that you kind of laugh and cry at the same time, you'll you'll know that's you. Yeah, so, so I, that's something we've done some around here, and uh, uh, we, you know, you got these nine personality types, or you know that that you got the helper that might be vulnerable to not being able to say no to things. You got the peacemaker. My wife's a peacemaker that might have a tendency to avoid conflict. I'm a one, uh, Sandra. I'm a um, which is an idealist, which also means that typos can keep you up at night and you get a little unsettled with a world that's so imperfect. But John, what are you, do you know what you are on the Enneagram? Uh, they call me a three. They a, call you a three. Oh, we're a like four. the worst the three of us right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, if, if, but I, I love what you're saying there because it, the, the, the tool when used well, it does get at a dynamic of spiritual formation that I, I think we could talk about um, uh, more broadly because it's it's often part of our worship resources, and I, I know you've worked on this. That, that this this reality that formation has to always be about both sort of directing our strengths and also uh, you know uh, correcting our weaknesses. I mean, you you go to a physical trainer and it's the same thing. I I had a bad back in my early thirties and I had to go see a physical therapist. And she said, uh, your back is messed up because your hamstrings are too tight. I thought, what in the world does a hamstring have to do with the back? But you know, it's all connected, right? So I think yeah. on the spiritual level, it's the same thing. Um, we, 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 we lean into the things that we're naturally good at or that we get affirmed for, as you were saying, and that uh, can cause for some imbalances. So what in the, sort of wisdom of the traditions that we've inherited, the, the daily practices and the corporate practices, what, what have you found that helps us kind of learn where we need to do our work and to do that work together? Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because as I think about Enneagram wisdom, you know, it, it, it really um, describes a type that we naturally gravitate towards and adopt early on in our childhood in order to cope with the world and to feel safe. It's something that happens very early on. And although we're not supposed to type our children, I'm pretty sure when they get to their thirties, I'm going to be like, yes, I knew. Um, But, and each of us has a distinct way of seeing the world and, and the motivations that we carry, like why we do what we do because of this early kind of 
uh, way that we gravitated towards a, a particular way of being in the world. And, and I think that, that that has a lot to do with the practices that we do and understanding our identity and ourselves as people, as, the pe- as, as people created in God's image. Um, I also think that has a lot to do with, uh, which is the work I do, which is to overlay our cultural values and our racial racialized experiences with the Enneagram. Um, because a lot of what happens to us in feeling safe at childhood has to do with what's around us during that time. And so I would say, I'm not surprised given my upbringing, um, my family experiences and what our country and our neighborhood was like at the time that I developed the way that I did. Um, and obviously each of my siblings is different, but some of that motivation comes from what I saw as a child, you know, like I saw so much injustice, Um, And so I gravitated towards a way of dealing with that injustice, right? Uh, uh, Speaking to it, um, trying to overthrow it in some ways, you know? Um, And so I think um, that has a lot to do with, for me, as in my spiritual practices, like I need to make sure that I am reflecting. I have times of silence and solitude where I'm asking, like, what is operating in me? Why did I respond that way? What is this mm-hmm. feeling that I have, particularly because uh, eight, uh, eight, one and nine are in the gut space. Like, what is this thing that I have in my, like, yeah. this, my gut is like, something's wrong, you know, and I'm not responding right. That, you know, whether it's a day of silence and solitude, whether I do two, um, uh, two, um, three day silent retreats a year, one in mm-hmm. the summer and one in the winter. And I've been doing that for 20 years. So now I do them with mm-hmm. my, with my partner, but before I did that with like friends, you know, whoever would go with me for three days and we spend all day in silence. And then at night we just talk about like, what did, what did Mm. Jesus say to you? What Mm. did you count? And I just start by saying like, what were some of the consolations and desolations, like the kind of highlights and and difficult things that happened this year. And I just write them out Mm. and I, and I see what comes to mind. Um, And I think for me as a gut reactor, as an Enneagram eight, as a person that's an activist, that reflection and contemplation, pausing and silence is actually even more important for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, you know, so I, when I think about prayer, you know, I, I remember growing up in youth group and we, you know, did prayer requests to God. And it was just really about telling God what God probably already knows, you know, who's in the hospital and who needs healing. But then, you know, I began to really see a part of prayer that is about, like Mother Teresa said, is changing us so that we can change the world. Right. And, um, and, and that, you know, part of that prayer is silence. Um, but there's still a place for words and you're putting words to prayers. Um, I think some folks don't even know how to pray authentic prayers and they're looking for some handholds. So say a little bit about the prayers that you're creating, Sandra, and like, it seems like such a holy thing, you know, even when we were creating common prayer, um, it's, it's a little intimidating, you know, to think I'm going to create a prayer that other people are going to pray. So how do I do that authentically and offer it, you know, up to God, but also craft prayers that might be useful for folks in their own lives. So what's, what's that look like to you? How, how do you, how do you write prayers? You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I participated in the last three years in a lot of collaborative work where I've been writing prayers for like the rally prayers for um, a rhythm of prayer with Sarah Bessie with that work 
um, with, I mean, there's just been so many, there's been so many where people are saying, will you write a prayer? Will, will you write a litany? Will you, and I'm just, I laugh every time I get asked. Cause I, 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 um, don't see myself as I don't see myself that way. But then when I get writing, I'm like, Oh, I have a lot to say to the Lord in, in, in writing. I just, to, to know that someone else will be reading it. It does feel a little bit weird. Um, so I, I do, I grew up in a tradition where we read prayers. That was the, in my first kind of recollection of how to pray was that we read prayers. And, um, and then I was kind of formed through my young adult, through my youth years, through a more like, um, uh, you know, like just pray what you think out loud, you know, not written prayers, but your own words within both the Baptist tradition and the Pentecostal tradition. And there's, those are very different of how you pray. Um, but for me personally, when I, when I write prayers is typically when I'm, when I take time to retreat and be in silence and solitude, because it takes me so many hours just to stop, like to, to like stop moving and stop thinking to be able to come to a place where I can say to God, okay, here's what's on my mind. So I find that my written prayers come very rarely. Um, like I don't do like a daily journal or anything like that. It's once a month, I write a prayer typically. And then once every, when I do my retreats, I write lots of prayers. I, I write a lot, you know, my prayers every day go like this, God help. You know, like, um, there are many times I come home from spending time with my students at Stateville Correctional Center and I come home and I throw myself on the carpet and I ask God to restore me because it was exhausting, like emotionally to hold on to all the things that I felt and, and kind of absorbed and heard. And I just ask, I cry. I just tell God like, how long are we going to be in this situation? Help. You know, um, there are times when I, when I ride my bike, um, that's when I think my best prayers, like verbal, they're not written, but they're also not silent. They're verbal. I talk and I, I cry and I just sing and I, I, I express myself to God because I think in the movement of bike riding, um, or walking could be like, I'm able to actually release words. Mm. Whereas like mm. sitting still doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, so my sitting still prayers or my laying on the carpet prayers are mostly like, I'm, I'm just like repeating to myself some phrase from scripture or a, a, a breath prayer that I'm just repeating over and over again. Um, but yeah, I think, that's good. That's good. That you know, the real gift of the liturgical prayers that you were talking about, you know, that you grew up reading, that they kind of get inside of us. And I think at, at best we get inside of them. I mean, that's what uh, I, I think we learned when we were sort of studying the liturgical tradition to put common prayer together, that, it, you know, at the heart of it is the Psalter. And when you get inside the Psalms, you get inside this world where the kind of full range of what people have had to say to God is there. Yes. And uh, you're going to you're going to feel it at some point. So it's nice to have some words to put to it when you experience it, you know, when you're when you're down in the pit, you know, yeah, who's going to save me? And when you're up on the mountaintop, you know, raise your hands and praise the Lord with the trees that clap their hands. Cause we've got words for that too. 
the the closing prayers each day uh enuma cora helped us with a lot of those and a lot of those were you know fresh prayers like you're writing uh sandra but then some of the other prayers are older and if y'all missed common prayer last month we did the midday prayer which has like a lot of those ancient prayers a prayer that's attributed to saint francis lord make us instruments of your peace and so as you're writing these fresh ones i wonder you know, Sandra, some of the old ones, are those still prayers? Like, are there some prayers that you pray each day or each week kind of regularly, some of those old ones? Because there's a reason some of these prayers have lasted for hundreds of years, right? <laughs> Is that they still kind of resonate in our hearts? Yeah, I definitely have prayer books of like, I have prayers, for example, from Mother Teresa and prayers um, from Oscar Romero and prayers from, uh, actually, I have a, a, a prayer book that was written in a I don't know who wrote it. It's a Pentecostal Spanish prayer book. Hmm. Um, I don't even think you can buy it. It's like a paper, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a card construction paper type prayer book. Um, and I utilize that as well. It's, it's old. Um, um, I think it's like probably close to a hundred years old, um, but it's, I'll have to figure out what it's called and how to get it uh, to how people can get it. But so I have prayer books that I use definitely uh, the prayers of Assisi. So many of them have shaped me co communities. I've been around that have written songs out of those prayers, the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms for me are like, when I don't know what to pray, I go to the Psalms and I begin to pray from the Psalms, you know, um, it, the common book, you know, that you, you all wrote, I, I utilize that at least once a week, if not more, just because sometimes I, I, yeah, we need kind of anchors like, ways that, that we pray. And, and I also like to follow the church calendar. So mm -hmm. I like to pray prayers that match for the season that we're in too. And the season that we're in may not match the season that I personally am in. So I want to follow with the community. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, definitely. We have lots of prayer books, lots of hymnals, lots of things that we utilize. Um, I think there's a book called um, Prayer for God's People, Prayer for All of God's People. It's I can't remember the publisher, but I take it on retreat with me and I pray from that book, which mm. has a, uh, kind of a litanies written within them. Um, you know, Donna Barber wrote a book recently. Um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting titles? It's got resistance in there, doesn't it? So, Red for resistance. Yeah, yeah, Red for it. resistance. So books like that, that are written prayers that could be ancient, that could be modern in the sense that they're within the last couple hundred years and and also written by friends that I think other people's words really do help. And I think for me in particular, I have had to wrestle with, um, with historical, historical prayers and hymns, because as a Latina um, who has studied kind of church history and looked at the way the church has behaved over time, there are certain songs or hymns or prayers that are attached to movements that I don't want to pray their words, you know? So it, they may be within a tradition, like let's say a denominational tradition, but that denomination didn't necessarily represent Christ to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think for many people of color, it's hard to look at some of that at some of the liturgical resources as our things because they're not our things. They didn't come from our community. They came from a different community. They were imported to us and then translated into our languages. Mm -hmm. And so it I really what I go back to is as far back, if I could go to like as far back to like Northern Africa as I can, then I can say this prayer, this liturgy, this um, you know, kind of doctrinal statement was written by an African brother, you know before 
before we we had the colonization of what mm-hmm. we experienced as a church in South America, North America. So I think that is what's hard, but I, I do think that there's a way to do it and that there's a journey you have to be on in order to say like, what does it look like for me to connect with the, because a lot, a lot of folks in the US, for example, when they say like, oh, I want to connect with the history of the church, you know, with the saints of the church. And we're like, those saints enslaved us. So we don't really want to pray their prayers. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think there there is a work that folks of color, we have, I mean, I think all of us should do it, but I think there's a work that we have to do to ask the question, whose history is our history and whose prayers are our prayers? Mm-hmm. What part of the church do we want to claim as part of the church? And I I, I think a lot of folks that come from more, um, I guess, free traditions or Pentecostal traditions, it's so painful. We don't enter into that process, but because I've been um, in community ecumenically, like with so many different brothers and sisters and my, for example, my mentor is an Anglican, an African, a Ugandan Anglican. So wow. I've had the, I've had the, the coaching to be able to say, how do I, how do I enter into that journey? Mm-hmm. Because I do think there is something to be said for someone's prayers, not only in the Bible, but written thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago, what were they going through? And, and can I receive those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And a sensitivity, you're articulating a sensitivity to uh, the, in the context where these uh, prayers emerged, um, were they uh, for the healing of the people who were praying them and the communities that they were part of, uh, as opposed to, you know, whether, whether they were getting hijacked by somebody who was trying to impose something on uh, other folk. And in some ways, I think that's uh, reflective of what you were telling us before we went live here, which is um, your your work in restorative arts. Prayer can be a restorative art. There are uh, other restorative arts. And uh, I wondered if you wanted to share a little bit more about that. Uh, I was kind of fascinated to learn that there's a a degree in restorative arts and you're teaching in a program that that's part of. But, uh, but yeah, how do you see kind of a a whole sort of a collage or or collection of restorative arts as part of uh, kind of an extension of our spiritual practice in in our daily lives. Yeah, well, I can speak specifically to the program, and then we can maybe ask questions around that. But uh, the program that I'm teaching um, right now, I'm specifically teaching preaching, um, mm-hmm. and I've taught you know different kind of uh, spiritual formation and different modules, but um, the program is through uh, North Park School of Restorative Arts that's in Stateville Correctional um, Center. And there are students that come from the North Park campus. And then there's students on the inside uh, who are incarcerated. And the degree really is preparing people for ministry. So it's an MA in ministry and restorative arts. It's a master's degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And the courses are, could be from trauma to nonviolent communication, not conflict transformation, Mm -hmm. kind of what are restorative practices, uh, restorative justice, in addition to your, your kind of seminary, you know, intro to Bible, all those kinds of things we do in seminary preaching, uh, vocational excellence, but it's looking at how, how does the context in which we are in call us as ministers to consider things like the process of transformative or restorative justice and a trauma-informed, how do we do trauma-informed counseling? How do we do trauma-informed preaching? How do we do? So I think looking at like, what is conflict transformation look like? And which I think are interesting topics to study with, with folks who are incarcerated because their, their world has lots of need for a nonviolent communication and conflict transformation and trauma informed mm. work. And so I learned so much from that experience, but I think 
I think what we're look what we're trying to to ask is like how does typically when we we've done we've studied ministry or studied disciplines like spiritual disciplines like prayer or um, you know Bible study we assume kind of a neutral you know kind mm. of an objective or neutral position in life like I'm in my living room here I am praying and everything's fine in the world around me but I think if we ask the question of context like if you're um, praying and if you're reading scripture and if you're planting churches in the context of violence of like social unrest, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of tools do we need to do that same work in those places? And oftentimes those tools are things like, you know, the role, what is the role of visual uh, music, uh, poetry, the, the different arts in like allowing us to create an imagination, allowing us mm-hmm. to, to develop and curate hope in people um, to, to, to acknowledge what is present in our lament and in our, you know, let's, let's say even in our murals to acknowledge and to, to, to vision, to express what is true about what is in the world right now. And then to allow the scriptures and the arts to create and curate what, what, what is true spiritually and what could be true practically maybe not on this side of, of death for some of us, but in the long run, like what, Mm. what is coming? So therefore, for example, we are, we are unified. We are the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. We are brother and sister. That's what the scriptures tell us. Um, We are one, but we don't feel like we're one Mm -hmm. and we don't Mm -hmm. experience oneness. So how do we speak to the lack of oneness and the injustice around that while at the same time, imagining and developing hope around oneness come on all right hey uh we'll we'll give you a chance in just a second sandra if there's any uh closing words you want to send us out with but uh i just want to thank everybody for joining us for morning prayer we're almost uh we're kind of wrapping up we're going to close in prayer in just a second jonathan will lead us out but um before i come back to sandra our book club this month is a a friend of all of ours uh alexia salvatier's book faith rooted organizing that she did with peter heltzel uh she's also got a new book coming out that we're going to hear about but grab this one if you don't have it uh, we'll be reading it together this month. Alexia will be with us at the end of the month. And um, we're also, um, uh, you know, I've got a heavy heart. We've been doing a lot of organizing around the executions in Oklahoma. There's 24 more executions lined up every few weeks. So we're doing a lot of organizing out there with death penalty action. Be praying for that. Um Jonathan, anything else that we can be praying for uh, or Sandra? And then we'll come back to you to close us out. Anything, anything we're praying for this month? Well, with the Poor People's Campaign, we uh, have launched a an initiative uh, just this week to uh, mobilize five million poor and low income voters to engage in the midterms, um, especially to, uh, to to lift up a vision for a political leadership that could. Uh, that could serve the interests of uh, you know poor and working people. So um, m- many of us were together in D.C. for that march on June 18th, and we you know saw this big and diverse family of both faith-rooted folks and you know fo- folks who uh, are motivated by other things, but people coming together to say we want to work for the common good. So we're trying to turn that into uh, action through voting this fall, and 
Hope folks will uh, connect with the Poor People's Campaign in their states. You might have a chance to go out and canvas your neighborhoods, uh, meet some folks and see what they're interested in going to the polls for. Yep. Glory. And then uh, we mentioned CCDA is coming up in a few weeks. You can still register CCDA.org. And I see that Reverend Sharon Risher has been very active in the Facebook feed, joining us for prayer this morning. She's a dear friend and uh, just a, a amazing woman and she'll be at ccda we'll be tag team preaching together so it's gonna be great and uh sandra back to you anything you want to close us out with before jonathan takes us out in prayer yeah i think the three things that are on my mind are um continuing to pray for our kids as they head back into school in, in particularly in states like texas pennsylvania florida kansas tennessee oklahoma places where um there is still a lot of legislation silencing their histories and their stories um mm. And I think I can't imagine, you know, we already didn't have enough of our stories being told. So now I don't know what our schools, what a whole generation is going to look like. I'm very concerned about what the next generation is going to look like without our stories represented um, and without people learning um, the whole truth. And so I think that's prayer for that. Um, I think prayer for Pakistan, like particularly not only for us to be participating in, you know, giving generously and relief, but for us to take a very serious look at how we handle ourselves and the earth and how just our consumption and our care for the environment. I, I, I don't think you can stress enough how much the poor are affected by the consumption of the West. Um, and so I think that's another area that I just, as you pray for Pakistan, consider like what you might give and then also what you might change about your life so that the th- things like this don't continue to happen in our, in our um, planet. And then the third thing I think is a, a prayer for churches. Um, I just think we have an opportunity as local communities to form worship and tell a story about Jesus that makes a difference in the world. Hmm. And I, I hope that we take this opportunity as the world is going through what it's going through to continue to ask ourselves is what I am saying either on a Sunday morning or Wednesday Bible study or however you, you structure yourselves, like is what we're teaching our children and our young adults, is that truth that will transform Mm. or is it just for like your own self-actualization and gratification? I just, I'm very concerned. So I would say those three areas of kids and our world, kind of, you know, what's happening in Pakistan right now. And then the third one is um, our churches. I just, we have, we can, I think, develop a much more robust um, story if Mm. we just read scripture and are committed to saying things that are maybe difficult or new for our congregations to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Let's join together with our family around the world and say the prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, you're a God who heals and calls forth life. Keep us from the pitfalls of self-pity and despair, lest we ridicule your grace and power and forsake our own healing. Amen.
May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Thank you so much, Sandra, for being our special prayer partner and guest this month. Thank you for having me. Hey, y'all, this is Shane Claiborne with Red Letter Christians, and I've got a big favor to ask of you. We want to get to know you a little bit more and make sure that you're getting what you need from Red Letter Christians. So I would love it if you would head to Tiny url.com slash rlc dash podcast. It's all in the show notes. And take five minutes to complete a little survey from you so that we can make sure that you get more of what you love. It's just an honor to be building a better world with all of you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.